My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Ashling Liggett and Frédéric Chabot. One important manifestation of the many different forms of injustice that shape our world is uneven access to health and well-being. In practice, there are a lot of different ways that this plays out. Different groups impacted, different mechanisms, different scales. Which means there are also a lot of different moments and approaches for intervening that can push back against this expression of injustice, reduce harm to marginalized people, and increase space for equitable thriving. Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights is an organization that works both within Canada and globally to promote health, well-being, and rights related to sexuality and reproduction. Following on the diverse areas of work of its three predecessor organizations, which merged in 2014 to form Action Canada, its work covers a broad spectrum. It includes directly providing certain kinds of support, referrals, and information, working with other groups and organizations on a range of campaigns using a collaborative movement-building approach, and policy advocacy related to things like access to reproductive health care, including abortion, LGBT rights, comprehensive sexuality education, and more. One important aspect of its work is an annual sexual and reproductive health awareness campaign called SRH Week. They used to do it in a way that focused on the general public. These days, though, for all that they still welcome and encourage public conversation about the issues, they are most interested in reaching healthcare providers and others involved in the health system. The goal now is to use this annual campaign as a tool to address practices within the health system that contribute to barriers and discrimination faced by particular populations, which can be one of the many factors that can shape inequitable and unjust health outcomes. The theme of the 2018 edition of SRH Week will be Mind Your Business, and its focus will be on, quote, the intersections between mental health and sexual health and all the complex ways in which sexual and mental wellness are connected, end quote. The campaign will run between February 12th and 16th. Action Canada will be releasing a range of educational materials targeted at healthcare professionals, including posters, a podcast, a handbook, and a range of online resources, all of which will continue to be available for the balance of the year. As well, there will be events across the country during the week of the campaign. The organizers of the campaign hope that they can spark the kinds of conversations and learning that are necessary to shift practices and thereby reduce barriers in the health system that have historically kept some people from getting the care that they need. They understand this as one kind of intervention in a broader spectrum of work towards changes that are necessary for people who face barriers at the intersection of mental health and sexual health, including all of the other kinds of advocacy and campaign work done by Action Canada, but also broader society-wide changes around things like access to affordable housing and adequate income. Frédérique Chabot is a queer white settler woman, and she's the Director of Health Promotion for Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Ashling Liggett is also a queer white settler woman, 
She works as a registered nurse in an acute care unit in a psychiatric hospital in southern Ontario, and she has also worked as a public educator focused on sexual health and sexual violence. We speak about the intersections of sexual health and mental health, about the Mind Your Business campaign, and about the ways in which working with frontline healthcare providers can help to reduce some of the systemic barriers that stand between a range of marginalized people and just health outcomes. My name is Ashley Liggett. I'm a registered nurse. I am cisgender queer woman. I'm a white settler. I currently live in Guelph on the territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit. I work at Homewood Health Centre, which is a private hospital in Guelph, but I work on the publicly funded unit. We're a mental health hospital, and on our unit, we're an acute care unit, so we usually have short stays, and usually stabilization is the focus of our treatment. And previous to going back to school to become a nurse, I was a public educator in the field of sexual health, mostly with a focus on sexual violence. My name is Fred Chabot. I work as the Director of Health Promotion for Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. I am a queer white woman settler too. I'm located in Ottawa, which is on unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin territory. Action Canada is an amalgamation of three organizations. So the Canadian Federation for Sexual Health, Action Canada for Population Development, and Canadians for Choice. We're a national organization. We're located in Ottawa. And we have a network of 25 associate organizations on the ground. They are community-based sexual health care and or education providers across the country. At the national level, we strive to be a voice for sexual and reproductive health through policy work, the media, working with decision makers, information sharing, and so on. Our policy and advocacy work is informed by the work we do in a lot of areas, including some frontline programs. We have one that's called the Access Line Program. So that's a toll-free 24-hour line for people needing support around pregnancy options. We have other front-facing activities, like, for example, our Comprehensive Sexual Education Educator Resource, Beyond the Basics, which gives us the opportunity to work with educators across the country on matters of sexuality in a human rights framework. We also work on a global level to promote sexual and reproductive rights with other international partners. We are here to talk about Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week. So this is a campaign that Action Canada runs yearly. The Canadian Federation for Sexual Health used to run this campaign yearly to raise awareness among youth of sexual and reproductive health issues. But when we took it over three years ago, we decided to expand it to really talk to health systems and how people interact with health systems since it actually really impacts health outcomes. So three years ago, we launched the theme, What's Your Relationship Status? And we started talking about the important relationship between healthcare providers and the public and diverse communities and how certain communities have a harder time accessing the care that they need, experience some discrimination in the healthcare system, are not getting the care that is affirming of who they are. And so we started to speak to that. Last year, we continued on that theme and then this year, we decided to tackle, in that context, the important intersections between mental health and sexual health. The campaign is called Mind Your Business. We have developed some material to really promote more awareness and develop capacity for healthcare providers to see and then to act on the intersections between mental and sexual health. What are some of the ways that sexual health and mental health intersect? And why is it important to talk about them together? We really wanted to bring in a component of tackling disparities in health outcomes 
and some issues that people are encountering when they interact with the healthcare system. In the last couple of years, we worked with several partners who work with or from communities on the ground who historically have had issues accessing healthcare or affirming healthcare. And in talking with all of these movements and groups, it became really apparent that mental health interacting with sexual health was like a big area that was neglected in terms of seeing the connection and how much that could lead to missed opportunity and in negative health outcomes for people. Since we started sharing our idea about making that the main focus of our campaign, people are coming out of the woodwork to say how excited they are to even just be able to talk about it. In my work as an acute care psychiatric nurse, I see the connection between mental health and sexual health every day in very concrete ways. Part of the healthcare provider's role when working with folks living with mental illness is to identify the barriers that that person faces in creating healthy, supportive, and valuable connections with others, whether that's through forming friendships, whether that's through forming relationships with peers or other consumers of mental health care, or whether that's forming sexual relationships with others. Often when we are not feeling like ourselves or when we're struggling to live in ways that we want to, part of what we struggle with is making connections with others. And if sexual connections are part of what's important to you as a person, those types of connections are going to suffer just as are your other connections with people. And I think we have a long way to go in making sexual relationships and sexual health a focus of our conversations with clients. There's some great resources out there for how to take comprehensive sexual health histories. There's great information and toolboxes for healthcare providers to know what do I do with that information? And we just have to start using them. I can give one concrete example that sometimes is talked about in, in I know, med schools of losing sight of, for example, the role that an active sexually transmitted infection can play in one's mental wellness. Things like not considering neurosyphilis as a potential cause for an acute psychotic episode. That's a very medical example to illustrate the importance of making sexual health an important part of the conversation. And there are so many other ways to make it part of the conversation, talking about sexual side effects of common psychiatric medications and other things like that. I get to talk to a lot of different people about sexual health. And from that, it becomes really apparent how sometimes to not have awareness around the possibilities of connections when we're talking about mental and sexual wellness can lead to a lot of suffering or missed opportunity to connect with people who are needing healthcare. Even personally, I have two children and when I was pregnant with my second, I experienced perinatal depression as a pregnancy symptom. I couldn't find any information on the topic. I couldn't find any support around me. Even people in my prenatal care team lacked a little information in terms of how to best support me if I had to seek care if the symptoms would not alleviate. And that's just one example. A lot of my friends right now are going through perimenopause and how that affects their mental health and what kind of support they're getting from their healthcare practitioner. 
friends who experience chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis and how that affects the possibility of being deeply depressed or feeling anxious, even suicidality in people. So there's so many possibilities for conversation and to have the proper framework to be able to develop our capacity around that. We thought that was something really important to bring to the forefront this year. Talk about some of the nuts and bolts aspects of how healthcare is delivered that get in the way of recognizing and adequately acting on these intersections between sexual health and mental health. One of the things that I see as an acute psych nurse in why we have a long way to go in recognizing the role that sexual well-being plays in interacting with mental wellness is that psychiatry has been thought of and sometimes continues to be thought of as a very inaccurate science. And I think that unfortunately, how some of our community has reacted to that is to more strongly say, we are an exact science. And sometimes when we try to focus too heavily on the and I'm putting in air quotes, the <laughs> science of <laughs> psychiatry and of mental health care, we fall into the trap of distancing ourselves from the messiness that is life and the messiness that is the human body. When we forget about the human body, we forget about all of the facets of a person's life and being and physical experience of their life that are important to talk about when, for example, taking a comprehensive history or when assessing the efficacy of a new medication we're trying. As an example, and this is a very specific example that I think can help us to, if we broaden it out, talk about larger issues. Some folks who are in a psychotic episode, so they're very ill, they're not themselves, they're not connected to consensus reality, part of their acute care will very likely include prescribing medications like risperidone antipsychotics. Some of these medications have a side effect of causing people to lactate. And I use this as an example because in this example, we can extrapolate out, okay, what happens when the side effect of a medication we're prescribing is messy, can cause distress in a person that makes them, on top of already not feeling well, can bring up sexual trauma, physical trauma. And what do we do to support that person in that moment when what we're confronted by is a messy human body? And I think part of the answer to that is to, as the care team, help to normalize for that patient or their family, their support system, that our bodies carry all this history that we can't ignore just because somebody is acutely ill. And so that's just a very specific example that only applies to some of us working in very particular areas. But I think these types of examples are often good starting points to think about, okay, well, if in that scenario, if this plays out, how could we apply the things we might do in that case to other conversations we might have? That example really brings in the importance of how when we don't factor in the entire life history or the entire context of a person, we miss out on vital information to help them be able to attain a state of wellness, both in terms of sexual health and mental health, but also like as a whole person. So for example, we know that large Canadian studies indicate that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer people are more likely than their heterosexual peers to report unmet mental health needs. 
And in the same vein, there's this great research report, the TransPulse study, that shows that for trans people, experiences of discrimination and violence can result in exclusion from social spaces, unemployment, avoidance of healthcare, and poor mental health. And this, of course, needs to be understood in the context of historical and ongoing pathologization of LGBTQ2S identities and their ongoing experiencing of stigma, prejudice, and discrimination society-wide, including in healthcare settings. If we don't factor in these kinds of stories of power and discrimination, then we're lacking some vital information. This is, of course, compounded for individuals and communities also that are marginalized because of race, ethnicity, disability, etc. So when we talk about interacting with the healthcare system in that context, what is the current level of knowledge and capacity as it relates to specific communities and specific mental and sexual health needs? In a lot of medical schools, in the hundreds of hours that people go through to become doctors, there's maybe four hours of elective classes on LGBTQ health needs. So that leaves a lot of people with a lack of capacity to even fathom what would be specific mental and sexual health needs for people from LGBTQ2S communities. If we don't take in the entire person, and not only the entire person, but the entire context of that person, so stories of power, of distress, and how they cope with discrimination and power imbalances, then we're actually lacking absolutely crucial information to create a path to wellness. And how can a better awareness of these intersections, of systemic barriers, of things like social determinants of health, shape how frontline healthcare workers deliver care? I'll give a care example. So when a patient comes in to a new relationship with a mental health care provider, one of the things that that care provider is tasked with is doing this dance between gathering a lot of information so that we have a comprehensive health history and then identifying what pieces of that health history is important to me as the healthcare provider. More importantly, what's important to the client or to the patient. So for example, if in a health history, a person says to us, I identify as transgender and I'm on such and such long-term hormone replacement therapy, the follow-up question that has to be asked is, do you think that's important to your care? In this setting with this reason why you came in to seek health care, is this a part of you that you think is important for us to factor into our choices going forward? The follow-up question has to be, do you want to talk more about that? Do you think it's relevant or not? Fred mentioned earlier how important it is to remember how pathologized many different communities have been by the field of psychiatry. And by pathologized, I mean that there's a terrible, terrible history and ongoing practice of looking at particular populations, for example, folks who are trans, and saying, oh, that part of you is what is making you sick. And using that word sick as a, as a dagger, right? And as healthcare providers, we have tremendous responsibility to recognize the power that we hold and to use that power in service of the client's best interest as they define them. The way we conduct interviews, the way we talk about certain things as healthcare practitioners can make a world of difference in terms of how we get to know the patient as a person and understand their circumstances. And that has a huge impact on diagnosis, treatment, building trust, 
and that has absolutely fundamental impacts on health outcomes. So it really matters how people talk about certain issues and what they're looking for during an appointment with someone. So we know from research, from experience, from movement building, what are some of the stumbling blocks that people encounter in healthcare settings during these conversations. So it's really to speak to that. It's also about becoming more mindful of what can shut down a conversation or what can really make it balloon into a relationship building moment. It's also about speaking to how validating some concerns in very specific way that the way the example Ashlyn gave also furthers the trust in a relationship and can get us to the information we need to actually go past some barriers that are everywhere in the healthcare system. So a few quick examples in certain contexts to make assumptions or have very closed off questions can mean that we don't get to know some important information about someone's gender identity or sexual orientation, about what kind of sexual behaviors they're engaged in. It can also mean that we're missing the mark in terms of really ingrained bias when we're talking about healthcare. So for example, the fact that women or feminine people are often not taken seriously in the healthcare system, and that is something that is backed up by studies with, for example, serious cases of endometriosis or chronic pelvic pain that seriously affect their mental wellness are routinely dismissed in healthcare settings and diagnosed years and years later sometimes. Same thing with ingrained biases against certain communities. There's a very recent study that came out in Canada about the treatment of Indigenous people and communities and healthcare settings and how assumptions around drug use and alcohol abuse routinely means that symptoms are dismissed with very dire consequences. Same thing with the perception of pain in people who are Black or people of color. So it's about building all of our collective capacity to have conversation that truly gives us the information we need for better health outcomes overall. Another concrete example I can offer, one of the things that community care providers are responsible for is regularly screening for STIs and for diseases of the reproductive system. Something that is used in this work is a pap test. It in many ways is a non-invasive procedure, but in many ways feels like a very invasive procedure because what's being done is that you're introducing an instrument into the vaginal canal so that you can take a sample of cells from the cervix. If you're somebody who has experienced sexual trauma, you may be very reluctant to have a pap test done. Many, many, many people that walk through your door have experienced sexual trauma or other forms of bodily trauma that mean that that pap test feels very invasive. And if we aren't explicitly stating to our clients the reasons for doing pap tests and the ways that they can expect us to do that procedure in ways that give as much control and power to the client, then people are just aren't going to get them. They're going to walk out of your clinic. They're not going to make appointments. And this contributes to higher rates of things like cervical cancer. That example is a great example of how even routine things that we do as healthcare providers, if we're not doing them with an eye to the intersections between mental health and physical health, which includes sexual health, then we're not doing right by our clients. So what is the Mind Your Business campaign going to involve? We have a lot of exciting material to offer to make sure that this conversation is had in as many settings as possible in many healthcare settings, but also in the community. We have this amazing poster that was designed by an artist in Montreal 
If you wish to receive posters for your clinic, for your community health center, please visit our website and there's an order form there. We also offer a handbook for healthcare practitioners that gives some concrete scenarios of moments when sexual and mental health intersect to act as prompts for ourselves to build our capacity in asking the right questions about how we interact with different communities or different scenarios. We also have in that handbook sections on communication tips, on how to recognize stigma and discrimination within healthcare settings, and on trauma-informed care. We also have a mirror resource for the public as it relates to examples of connections between our mental and our sexual health to spark conversations among ourselves as well in terms of what that can look like and to really bring attention to how these connections are important to bring up in healthcare settings. We also have a podcast interview actually with Ashley and and she's in conversation with Faye Johnstone, a trans activist and a patient advocate. And then we also will feature blogs from various community organizations and healthcare practitioners who do amazing work to feature them as champions of care that really incorporates that framework of connections between sexual and mental health. And of course, we'll be on social media all week. There's events that are being held across Canada. So there's a calendar that can be looked at on our website, srhweek.ca. So beyond the important work being done in this campaign, what broader changes in policies, in systems of support, and so on, would be helpful in addressing the overall unjust health outcomes faced by people who encounter barriers at the intersections of sexual health and mental health? Action Canada takes a prominent role in some areas to affect change at the policy level. As I mentioned earlier, we are also very focused and very nourished by situating ourselves in a movement-building kind of strategy because, of course, we cannot lead on every front. We follow the lead of communities who are doing amazing work to seek justice for themselves. Ourselves, we are focusing heavily on the availability for all youth in Canada of comprehensive sexuality education that is framed by human rights and that is LGBTQ plus inclusive. We also work hard on issues of access to a comprehensive package of sexual health services and goods, including abortion access. And then there's several other moments where, for example, we talk with government about the decriminalization of sex work, or we talk about, there was Bill C-16 about including gender identity and expression in protected grounds, like in terms of discrimination. My answer to any question that's focused at broader change, whether the thing you're trying to move is improving sexual health of communities, improving mental health of communities, improving physical health of communities, one of the answers I always give is stable and affordable housing. Housing, yes. Huge, huge, huge impact that affordable, stable housing would have on people's entire well-being. You have been listening to my interview with Ashling Liggett and Frederic Chabot about the Mind Your Business campaign tackling the intersections of sexual health and mental health. To learn more about this campaign, go to srhweek.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, 
go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.